It's the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 13 in Year C. We are continuing the second series of this Pentecost season in Year C. Focused is the theme of this current worship series. That's because in this section of Luke's Gospel, Jesus, we read in Luke 9.51, has resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He is focused, focused on going to the cross for our salvation. Really, he's focused on us, focused on rescuing us and giving us new life. So as we follow our Savior on his journey to the cross, we find him, through his words, giving us renewed focus. We see things more clearly, and each week as we hear our Savior's words, we gain focus for our lives of faith. Today we're thinking about the reading for the Sunday that falls on or between July 31st and August 6th in year C. That means we are working with proper 13. The theme tying the readings together this week, focused living properly values earthly wealth. Quick introductions of the people on the podcast today. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. With me, as he's been throughout this series, is Pastor Nathan Nass of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today, also joining us is Pastor Michael Schultz, who's been serving as the director of the Wells Hymnal Project, and Professor David Bivens, who teaches New Testament and homiletics at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Nathan Nass, let's go first to you. Could you give us a short introduction to the theme for this Sunday in the Focused Worship Series? Sure. Uh, I'd like to say as a parish pastor, I found all of the themes during this series to be very practical for, for my congregation. Uh, we started with focused on my neighbor, then we talked about focus on God's word, and last week was focused on prayer. And today the, the shift um, goes to focused on, on earthly wealth. And I just want to note that this is one week where it's good to look ahead to, to see what comes next week. And so this week's gospel lesson is very closely tied to next week's gospel lesson. Next week, we'll hear about the treasures in heaven and storing up for yourself treasures there. Today, the focus really is on, on earthly wealth. And we want to hear about the, the dangers of greed and then hear about how we're rich in Christ already here on earth um, through what Jesus has done for us. So as we talk about, you'll, you'll note the, this care not to, to get too caught up in the treasures in heaven concept, that's coming next week. Today, it's how do we properly value earthly wealth during the time God gives us here on earth? Great. Yeah, Great. thanks yeah. for putting this into the context of coming readings. I noticed that happens in this year, C with uh, uh, many of these readings from Luke. Um, Jesus will come back to similar themes. So it's important to focus on a, a particular set of readings for a given Sunday, a particular text, and bring out those unique emphases there. Well, Michael Schultz, let's go to you next. Um, if you would, give us a quick synopsis of the scripture readings appointed for today. Sure. The first reading from Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, it's really the introduction to the book. Uh, some words from chapter one, uh, introducing us to the teacher and the overall theme of the book. Uh, everything is meaningless. The interesting thing about this in the context of this particular weekend and service and focus theme and so forth, um, we have we have the man who many considered the wisest and wealthiest man who has ever lived, 
Um, and he states his intention right up front in the book. I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all these various things. So when you get later into the book and he's talking about um, basically we might say the party life or the building projects, everything, all the kinds of things that the rich man in the parable would classify under eat, drink, and be merry. Solomon says he had already experimented on purpose with all of those things and he drew, he drew some very clear conclusions about what uh, what that was and what it was and, and how it was really not all that it might be cracked up to be. Um, found out uh, that overriding theme in the book that without the Lord, um, you can do all those things and it's, it's utterly meaningless. Um, one, one commentator uh, takes that truth and says, well, Solomon already tried it out. We don't need to um, kind of thing. We, we can learn from his example already. Then in the second reading from Colossians, as was mentioned before, we don't want to get too much into next week's theme of heavenly things, uh, but that does sort of come out in the Colossians reading where it makes that contrast between setting your hearts on things above uh, or setting your heart on earthly things. And so um, one of the things that we can pick out of that reading that really sort of informs the gospel reading is that little phrase in there about your life is hidden with Christ and God. We can talk about that a little bit more later, but that, that strong contrast between earthly things and heavenly things that have value is also explored in the second reading, and that'll help provide um, sort of the positive side to some of the negatives that are in the gospel reading. All right. Thank you. Uh, speaking of the gospel reading, let's go to you, David Bivens, next. Um, our suggested sermon text for this week is the gospel, Luke 12, 13 to 21. So at this point, preachers have done their text study. Uh, Dave, could you get us started as we think about preaching this text? Yeah, thank you uh, for that. It, it, just hearing the, the summary of, of the readings and uh, where we're coming from, I, I, I just can't help but think of such a, um, the, the word that pastors and preachers are frequently looking for is, is it relevant, is it applicable? Um, and as you're looking through this, this section of, of scripture and this parable is frequently referred to as the rich fool, um, could it be any more relevant or applicable to uh, this day and age and um, America? And you think of the wealth that is just off the charts as a society and a, a country and, and the thing that's captured the hearts of, of so many of us. And then Jesus has that right in the crosshairs uh, with with these powerful words, and so we would do well to to analyze this for our own hearts, for the hearts of our our flock, and for any uh, potential visitors that might be with us on a Sunday morning. Um, I guess the first thing that I, I I noticed when you're looking at this text is how quickly the the the, the subject seems to shift. Uh, Jesus had just finished giving some very strong warnings and encouragements earlier in chapter 12, you know, he says things such as um, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more uh, fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell, you know, very strong words. Jesus is lift, trying to at least lift the eyes and the minds of, of those who are listening in the crowd to, to real powerful spiritual truths and then you have in verse 13, someone in the crowd, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He just uh, um, 
you can picture it pretty clearly, can't you? Where, where someone says, I get it, Jesus, you want us to think about important stuff, but let's talk about what's really important. I want my money. And it just seems to be a very common thought how quickly our minds shift back to the grab, the grasp that wealth has on our hearts. And so with that, Jesus, the consummate teacher, gets into it and has something to tell us. And I think maybe one of the more powerful phrases is one of his opening words where he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I think we frequently talk about greed. It's a word that we will use when we preach the law, but maybe it's something that we can have a conversation about in just a moment, all kinds of greed. The idea that greed can take many different forms in our hearts and maybe we would do well to kind of wrestle with what are the different kinds of greed that can manifest itself in even a Christian's heart. Because Jesus is telling us to take a look. And from there, he goes on and tells the well-known parable about the man. And I guess my question for you guys is, where does sin become evident in the man's thoughts and plans? And I think that's a healthy conversation to have because I think what Jesus is reminding us is that there are a lot of blessings that are evident when it comes to the wealth, the gifts that he gives to us. But as the devil is so good at doing, he can take blessings and turn them into curses or things that would take our mind off of what truly is important. And so as we're going through the parable, you know, the question is, when did the man really start to lose sight of true wealth? When did he show his greed? Because I think we can sometimes hide behind the idea that, well, we're being, for example, good stewards, or we are simply making use of the things that God has given us. And yet he's called out for his actions. You hear the strong condemnation after he has built his new storage barns or would have them built. And God says, you fool. I dare say there are no more scary words to hear in scripture than when the Almighty would say, you fool, to someone. And so strong words, because the very thing that that man has set his heart on was not going to benefit him in the long run. In fact, it took him away from his wealth toward God. And so strong words, not a lot of gospel evident in this text because it's a warning. However, there certainly is some gospel and we can maybe talk about that in a little bit as well. But I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, thank you, David. Um, let's go back to that question you posed to us. Um, where does the sin start in the heart of this man that Jesus depicts in the parable? Um, I mean, it's not in that he received a bumper crop. We could say that's a gift from God, a good gift from God. Um, so being uh, the recipient of these blessings, certainly nothing wrong with that. But yeah, where, where does it start then? Where does he go off the rails, uh, spiritually speaking, if we could put it that way in the context of the parable? Um, uh, Michael, want to start us off? 
Yeah, it seems like obviously a hypothetical person in a parable, but um, as was said with this introduction, you, you know, you can almost turn this parable on its head and say, well, if he, if he just started talking and said something else, like, I've got all this stuff, uh, how about if I bring the poor into my house, or how about if I open a food kitchen, or, um, but then your question, where did it start, you, you get the impression that with this hypothetical character, it was already uh, cooking pretty hot in his heart, and that statement that he comes out with just manifests what had been there for a while, rather tragically. Yeah. Another, it seemed like another good point um, when David was talking as far as, um, yeah, these were all good blessings. I think one of the things to, uh, a sidelight to keep out, keep watch for is n n try not to go overboard and ever say, ever giving the impression that the blessings are bad of themselves. They're really good things that he have been given. Great. Yeah, Nathan? Yeah, I think you, behind the scenes, you, you ask, well, where is this man starting to sin? And maybe in what's missing, what's missing is any acknowledgement that God gave him the blessings. And then what's missing is any concern about the people around him. And as I did the text study, it was striking how many first person singular verbs there are in the parable, which we don't see a lot of first person singular verbs as you're going through the gospel. It's usually in the third person. But this guy just over and over again, what will I do? I will gather in all this stuff. I will build. I'm going to do this and that. And so the, the lack of any acknowledgement of God's blessing. And then I think where it really becomes clear is when you start to, to find your security in your wealth. And that's what he does at the end. This idea, because of my wealth, I am secure. Then that's a clear sign. You've gone way too far in putting your confidence in earthly things and not in Christ. Right. David? Yeah, yeah I, I, I like what, what I'm hearing, and I think you're, you're helping to, to paint that picture. In addition to the, the first-person verbs, I, I think also the first-person uh, possessive pronouns, um, the way he refers to these things. And it's not necessarily wrong to talk about um, my job or my wealth or my things. I think we do that pretty naturally, but is it really my stuff? And I think that's where the conversation starts to go off the rails when, when we forget that what we have has been gifted to us uh, from, from God. And maybe it's in that sense that, that you start to see his attitude is these are things that I have accumulated for myself and I am now secure in them. And at that moment, worldly wealth, which is a blessing from God in so many different ways has now become uh, the opposite. Not because intrinsically it's wrong, but because it's captured our heart or we've allowed it to capture our heart. So um, a, powerful, a powerful thing because we don't ever wanna give the impression that it's wrong to think ahead or be responsible when it comes to money. Um, but we do want to recognize how quickly we can slip into letting it dominate our lives. Yeah. Uh, Nathan? And just to, to you pastors who are listening, I found it really helpful in my text study to look up all the occurrences of the word rich in the New Testament, because you see, a, you see quite a balance. It's used in a positive sense, describing certain people. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. God is rich in mercy. Jesus was rich and then gave up his riches for us. So if you just look up that word and how it's used, you see very clearly it's not the riches in themselves that are the problem. 
But then you also see that the negative side of, of riches uh, coming up in Luke, you've got the rich man and Lazarus, who certainly didn't use his riches in a God-pleasing way. So I found just doing a word study on that word helped you to see the distinction between when are riches a blessing from God and when am I misusing them and, and moving away from Christ? Right. Michael? Yeah, this whole awareness of security, uh, this false sense of security that he has. I, I have some things in mind for manuscript writing in, in, in terms of, you know, going through the kind of current day items that people might set their hearts on, but, it, uh, you know, and then just leading up to the statement, just something simple like, you know, you have all of those things and then you think to yourself, hmm, I'm all set. Just let those words sit in people's minds and think, you know, what, what is it that leads a person to say, I'm all set. I've got everything covered here. And for this fellow, it was the wrong things that led him to think that. And boy, is that something that hits us over the head these days. Yeah, and there's a lack of uh, perspective in the sense that when he does think I'm all set, um, he's thinking only up till the point of his death. Well, or he's not really thinking that far at all. He's thinking right in the current moment. So he's not all set at all um, because he's not thinking beyond uh, the time frame that involves him eating, drinking, and being merry. Right. Yeah, if you could do that graphically, it's like some of the commercials that you see where it shows the sinus rhythm of a heartbeat and then that flat line and you just think, oh, yeah, big change all of a sudden. That's right. And that's the part he had not thought about really at all. Right. Right. Um, well, great. Yeah, those are great ideas as we address the kind of the malady uh, Jesus puts in front of us in this text. Um how do we preach the gospel? David uh, referred to uh, the fact that this text is more law than gospel. Um, so having pointed out the, uh, the lack of eternal perspective, the false sense of security, the uh, focusing on God's blessings and forgetting about God the giver and, and all the other great thoughts we've had regarding the, the sin uh, problems in this text, where do we go for the gospel? Uh, David, did you have you mentioned you had thought on that? Yeah, I, I, I think that that it is a, a a little more of a challenge to define real specific gospel. But but maybe two two thoughts. One would be the fact, and you can see this throughout Scripture. But the fact that we have a Savior God who is not content to let us um, fall asleep when it comes to such dangers, but rather. Uh, the fact that he's talking very, very, very firmly to this man who asked the question, the fact that he is uh, having finished giving his warnings and encouragements in the first part of chapter 12 is not going to be dissuaded by um, really answering the question of tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he loves us enough to right size our relationship with wealth. And so I think there, there is gospel there um, when he, he he's reminding us of the dangers, uh, just like you might remind someone um, of, of, that your house is on fire. Um, I, and I think the other thing would be the, the last verb or words, excuse me, of the text, um, that there is such a thing as being rich toward God. And that might be the, the base for jumping into a conversation of, well, how is such wealth, spiritually speaking, uh, attained? And talking about uh, uh, the riches of Christ given on our behalf. 
I think would be a, a logical place to go from there. Okay. Uh, Michael, did I see? You sure. Um, we've said a couple of times that there's a, a sort of a predominance of warning in the text. Um, and as I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, warnings can usually go in two directions. Somebody warns you not to do something. Um, you, you think to yourself, well, I got to stop doing that first of all, and then I got to go in a different direction of doing what I'm supposed to do. And that, that, that's going to fall a little bit short of setting up the gospel the way that we want to. Um, part of, I, th I think part of the important thing is getting to the gospel in this text is that when you hear the warning, you can't just think to yourself, well, I got to stop doing that and do something else. The warning needs to somehow lead to um, being crushed that I've, I've, I've been this person. I've done this. This is in my heart. Greed is second on the list of the seven deadly sins. It's in 1 Corinthians 6 as excluding people from the kingdom of heaven, along with a lot of other bad things. It's like he sneaks in that little word greed. The greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, to set up the gospel with just letting people realize this warning, first of all, leads me to confess. But then um, I always like the idea of, of putting the specifics of this text into Jesus on the cross and some, some kind of gospel statement that says, when you see the savior on the cross, do you know that he is just teeming with the greed of the world? It's just filling his body and he's being condemned for it uh, because he loves us. The seven it's, it's the second on this list of seven deadly sins. If we want to use that list, but all seven, were jammed into Jesus' body, and he was willing to pay the price for all of that as far as the uh, passive obedience of Christ. Great. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, Mike, you, you emphasized uh, what's the warning, and then is there an opposite side to it? You know, the strongest warning is verse 15, isn't it? Watch out. Your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Right. And so you ask, what's the opposite of that? Well, Jesus is teaching me my life is not about what I have. So the, the good thing isn't to look around, what else can I possess? It, I think the gospel is, is the idea of it, you, your life depends on who you are, not on what you have. And Dave, you mentioned that it ends with that idea you can be rich toward God. The gospel in, in the Bible is God tells us that you are rich. You're rich because of what Christ has done for you. That Christ was rich, but he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich and because I, I talk about the gospel in my sermon, the, you know, the law is going to be your life does not consist of what you have and don't think that it does. The good news is your life is about who you are in Christ. And Christ makes you something you weren't before. And he makes you, he makes you rich. And that's maybe where I'll bring in that Colossians 3 lesson when, when it says Christ, who is your life. Right. My life is Christ. It's not my stuff. It's not what I want to have. It's Christ. My life is Christ. It's about who I am, not what I have. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing with that little snippet from Colossians 3. Perfect use for it, it seems like. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that verse 15 does set it up perfectly. Um, life does not consist. And it, life is not about how much stuff you have. Um, that is not what defines us. It's, it's who we are in Christ, being rich toward God in that sense. David? Yeah, maybe just, just adding to, to those awesome uh, thoughts, you, you think about the man who is being portrayed in this parable 
And you ask yourself, where does it end for him? Um, he has a bumper crop and he, he needs to tear down his, his warehouses to build larger ones. And, and potentially where would it end? Could you ever have enough? You're always wanting to accumulate more and more because you've put your value in that. Um, but that's not, as Jesus is saying, um, what your life should consist of. Your life is who you are. And when you think of what Christ has done for us, it does end there. There isn't need for more. <laughs> uh, you have it all. And, and I think that's kind of a neat promise and reminder to leave our people with is you don't have to keep up in the rat race of accumulating. Christ has, has already accumulated it all uh, for you. Yeah. Yeah. You already have that in Christ. Mike? Think about people in the pews for this last, for this reading. Um, I can remember several cases of people talking to me about um, tragic family division based on who was supposed to get the inheritance, just like the lead-in for this parable. I mean, this is, this is not an unreal situation. There are people sitting there who have gone through that kind of thing, who have told their pastor, yeah, I gave it all up. I said, I said you can take it all. It's not worth it to me. Um, and just let themselves be cheated. Um, and we're certainly hoping that they realize it's not just to be a nice, try to be a nice person, but to realize, let people know those things are not the big thing. The other thing that I think just briefly here, um, when you're thinking about the people in the pew, I, I think about all the kind, all the kinds of ways that I might want to give personal exam or current day examples of attaching yourself to wealth or things or the kind of people that the kind of things that people really have a desire for in their heart. And I think there's maybe a little cautionary note that you sort of have to be careful the kinds of things you list because they might have it out there. Um, you know, life is not all about, about lakefront property. <laughs> there's the guy out there that's got the nice lakefront property. Um, just have to really be careful about how you couch those terms as far as you're giving examples. The one thing I was thinking of was if I do something like that in this sermon, I would just do it first person. And not just talk about it in general, but just say, you know, if I were thinking about this, if I had this, if I had that, so it's not just left resting on them somehow in a bad way or in an unintended way. Right, right. Nathan? Yes, talking about yourself in the first person, I, one example I'm going I'm to use in my sermon is we, we moved recently and part of our move, we had to find a storage unit for a few months. And you drive around and there are these storage units everywhere, right? Just self-storage all over the place. I called five different places, each that had hundreds of units, and they were all full. They didn't have a, a single storage place for us to put our stuff. And you just think, we have so much stuff. We rent storage places to put it in. And of course, we were doing the same thing because we had so much stuff to put in there too. It just, this is part of being in America, so much stuff. And that made me think of a story I heard from a, a, a Wells missionary who, who was in Africa for a while. And he, he told the story that when he got to Africa, it really surprised him to see how Wells Lutherans in Africa were struggling so much with witchcraft. And he just went there and he saw people struggling with this. And he thought, how can, how can Christian people struggle with this? And he just didn't understand. But then he talked about how years later he was in the United States when an African pastor came to the seminary for something. And the African pastor looked around Mequon, Wisconsin, and he said, how can people be Christians and have all this stuff? How can they be Christians and want to have all these things? And what that 
while I was missionary, he made the connection, you know, in Africa, you know, witchcraft is something they just don't notice. It's part of their culture. And we go there and we say, this is crazy. Why are they struggling with this? How many people come to the United States? And they say, they're so greedy. How do they not see this? And we don't. It's just such a part of our culture. And we need, we need Jesus warning. Life isn't about the stuff that I have because we're blind to it. It's just, just how we live. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a cultural blind spot, isn't it? And uh, particular to prosperous, um, prosperous nations or prosperous parts of the world. God fills your lives with so much uh, good stuff, materially speaking, that you become blind to the materialism and greed that, that, that often follows. Yeah. That's a great point. Point. Uh, Mike. I, I like that idea of the storage that all these storage uh, facilities that are, I mean, I don't think those existed when I was a kid. They're just, they're just sort of popping up everywhere. It, it, that example seemed to be more uh, contemporary, more recent and more fresh than some of the old ones. I had a little note here to not, to not use the cliche ones with this parable. Like, you know, Malcolm Forbes was the guy who was credited with saying whoever dies with the most toys wins. I think that's probably got enough mileage already if somebody wants to use it fine but there was i was, I was a vicar and i <laughs> visited a guy in a hospital and just off the cuff he says you know i've never seen a u-haul trailer behind a hearse um just to give the you can't take it with you speech and i just think well there, there are ones that have been around for a long time and maybe maybe a, maybe there's a better way to go after that than just the trite little phrases that have been said forever that's why i like um, Nathan's idea about the storage places. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, to echo Nathan's comment from earlier too, uh, but maybe I already echoed, but I'll do it again, is uh, look ahead a little bit in the, the lectionary because some of these similar themes will be coming up too. So you might want to not shoot all the arrows in your quiver um, right away with this sermon uh, because similar themes will be coming up too. So yeah, maybe pick the pick the ones that are more specific to this text. Uh, Dave? Yeah, I was just going to circle back to something that I, th- I think Mike had said uh, a little little while uh, back, and he was just talking about some of the things we, we need to be careful with with a text like this. And I agree. I think that we, we need to be careful with oversimplifications or overreactions Um and a lot of that is how we present what the true malady of, of the text is and the, the, the problem. Uh, you know, the last thing you want is someone who is uh, financially blessed in the congregation to feel like uh, they're not a Christian unless they go and sell everything they have and have, have completely rid themselves with the cancer that is money or uh, to, to bind someone's conscience and say they, they, it's wrong to enjoy a vacation and, and physically rest. Um, which could be some conclusions that they would get or their, their, their conscience might be bothering them. Um, and so just to be mindful of that as we're talking, what is the, 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 the problem is that his security is found in such things and he's taken God out of the equation or made those things become his God. And I think that's where the, the real conversation begins. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Mike, to that. Yeah, just a little different angle on some things that have already been said, just for uh, some service resources that seem to be um, really, really hitting the point of this parable, maybe more so than in any others. There's there's a, a hymn in the hymnal, My Worth is Not in What I Own. Um, 
like Keith and Kristen Getty. Uh, obviously, they're more popular these days. But uh, a text that I don't think really just comes out and spells it out like that is, is that I know of anywhere else. My worth is not in what I own, but it's found at the cross is the refrain. The thing that we were talking about before about in Christ, who are we? Um, and then the, the appointed psalm for the day is 62, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Um, oh, 90. I had that wrong. I'll let that pass. Next point. Okay. Uh, Nathan? One illustration I was thinking of that I've heard recently is the illustration of a cup, and you can use it for various sins. So maybe you've heard it for a different sin, but the illustration goes, you ask the question, how do you get the air out of a cup? And you just think of a cup and how do you, how do you get the air inside to come out? And you can tip the cup upside down and there's still air in it. You can blow in it. There's still air in it. How do you get the air out of a cup? And the only way to get the air out of a cup is to fill it up with something. So if you want the air out of a cup, you fill that cup up with water and it pushes all the air out and it's gone. Just to think, how do you get the, the greed out of a human heart? And you can say, well, don't love this or love that. And it's not going to do any good. How do you get greed out of a heart? Well, you have to fill it up with something else. And you have to fill it up with Christ. And you fill it up with Christ and you fill it up with Christ's love and you just fill it so full there isn't room left for anything else. And that's really the goal as we're preaching this text and really any text that we're preaching is I want to fill my hearer's heart so full of Christ that Christ is the one who pushes that greed or the fear or whatever the sin is out of their heart. And then it's only a heart that's really full with Christ that to be rich toward God, um, I think it is appropriate with this lesson to encourage people to, to use their money, um, to give offerings, to serve the poor. When a heart's full of Christ, it's an easy thing to, to be rich toward God in any number of different, different ways. Right. Yeah. Both in terms of seeing your value uh, in God's sight through what he gives you, um, spiritually speaking, uh, and then to put the material things uh, to work in ways that, uh, that God loves, uh, ways that serve others, ways that serve his kingdom, invest your time in things that build up you and others spiritually. Sure. Um, let's uh, go around the table. If you got any theme ideas um, or uh, themes that, that you're working with, um, I look back, I, I have used uh, the theme for this text. Um, it's only money. It's only money, and I connected it to, I think, my inter introduction to a, 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 just a brief story. I was at, a, I think, a pastor's conference. We were talking to a fellow pastor who had recently been in a, a fender bender car accident. Um, not serious, but as you know, little fender bender accidents can cost a whole lot of money. So he was out several hundred dollars um, through this, and, but he, he told us about this, and then he said, well, but it's only money. And we kind of laughed because we thought he was being sarcastic, you know, how it costs several hundred dollars because that's a big chunk of money. Um, but he said, no, no, seriously, uh, the other driver wasn't hurt. I wasn't hurt. My family was not involved. Um, I dented my car. It costs some money. Life goes on. I'm really blessed and thankful. It's only money that I'm out. And given the choices, <laughs> I'll take that every time. And that kind of stuck with me. Um, and that's maybe the where I went with that is this is the perspective that Jesus gives us through this parable. We can look at the material blessings he's given to us and say, 
Uh, they are blessings and we give thanks for them. We want to use them wisely. But in the end, when you have your identity in Christ, you can say about money, it's only money. Um, and uh, we use it. We thank God for it, but it's not everything. So if that was an idea I'll throw out there. Any others uh, as far as themes go? Uh, Dave? Yeah, I'll just throw out two kind of uh, thoughts or themes that, that can be tweaked. Um, one of them, they both kind of play off of maybe well-known phrases, but um, you think of, uh, you hear people speak about get rich quick schemes, or I just wonder about the theme about Christian get rich quick and, and the idea of, of we are being called to get rich, um, but he's, he's changing our relationship with what wealth is or should be. But I think your members would, would be interested to hear about what a get rich quick scheme might look like. Um, but it's not really the things of this world or, or the things that are being discussed, but that key concept of being rich toward God. Um, the other, the other thing that I think I've preached on in the past is don't play the fool, um, which is just a kind of a common expression. And anytime the word fool comes up, that's not what we want to be. Um, but don't play the fool and, and embrace the, the temptations of greed or don't, don't play the fool and live for what's going to be lost. I think you can, uh, use that thought in a couple of different ways to, to, to hit on the main points. Great, great ideas. Uh, Mike? Yeah, this text has me, um, for whatever reasons, it has me thinking pretty strongly in, in terms of that warning idea. I don't know that I have a phrase yet for it, but this this whole idea of the, um, the severity of what happens in this parable, the, the guy uh, dies that night and realizes that everything that was everything to him is completely gone and what a strong and powerful warning that is sometimes you go down that road of giving people a warning about uh don't latch on to your money and they sort of laugh and say well if i had money i'd be a problem for me but i don't have to worry about it that much that whole kind of thing is um you, you can address that all when you get uh get through this warning is whether you have it or, or you just always think you want to have it and it's going to solve all your problems i think i want to try to use that to set up the the whole big finish like what Nathan was talking about before as far as uh, look what you look what you really have the wealth that you have in Christ probably go down that road great yeah yeah and you mentioned this is a, a text to think about applying it to to rich to poor materially speaking people on all different economic levels everybody has their own temptations regarding this right uh, Nathan the theme I'm thinking of using is just the one word stuffed and just this idea of we got so much stuff, which we've talked about. And so, you know, the first part describing the malady of, I think rich or poor, everybody has stuff. I mean, I've met poor people who have lots and lots of stuff too. And we seek stuff, we fill our lives with stuff. We fill our storage units and houses with stuff, just like this rich man. But you can have all sorts of stuff and still be empty, still not have what you need. And then the gospel would be, Jesus is the one who really, he just stuffs you full. You're, you're stuffed, but but not with these possessions that you think that you need. You're stuffed full with, with God's blessings to you. And so you can go through life just feeling filled because you have what you need and it, it doesn't depend on the abundance of possessions that you have. Great, great, great ideas. Thank you, guys. Um, well, so great discussion today on this text. Focused living properly values 
earthly wealth, uh, the theme for the week. God bless you as you wrestle with this text and how to share the, the beautiful truths in it with God's people. Lord bless you as you preach the word.